Do you enjoy diving the podcast and would you like to support our work? If you'd like to get Justin out of the editing suite in his basement and diving again, be sure to check out our Patreon page to find fantastic ways to support this podcast. One of the cool perks is exclusive early access to episodes before they post with no ads. Each week, we like to thank some of our Patreons, and this week, we thank Jess. Go to patreon.com slash dive in pod for more. Well, Hana, uh, loosely translated, is basically family. And we chose it because we wanted to create this sense of a, of a family, of a community of divers. And um, in, in Hawaiian, it doesn't mean like necessarily your direct family. It means everyone that you're connected to through, um, you know, your social network or your network of um, people that you know that you rely on for different things or that you spend time with. So that's why we went with that name. It's episode 67 of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Lena Oyala and Martina Gorlaska. Dive in the Podcast is a weekly all about diving podcast for everyone. Whether you explore the oceans as a snorkeler, scuba diver, freediver, or tech diver, Dive in has something for you. The show is filled with diving news, feature interviews with guests from around the world, interesting dive topics, and ocean advocacy. Visit DiveInPod.com to find out more about the show, past guests, and our Patreon. Hi everyone, I'm Amit, and today on Deco Stop, we'll be chatting to Deco or not to Deco. I'm Nick, and for my book recommendation, I'm going to suggest some magazines for your summer reading. I'm Justin, and we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. So what did you all think about uh, last week's episode with Lee Burkhardt? It was a good interview, April and I, on the, uh, on the, 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 the light version of Dive in the Podcast last week without, <laughs> uh, <laughs> without Mitt or Nick. It was, uh, it was a little bit different feel, uh, but uh, Lee was a good sport and he was a super nice guy to chat with. And uh, man, I had that reef photo video. I just I purposely don't look at their website. I didn't look at their website very long because I didn't want to get enticed in and, and uh, pull out any credit cards or anything. Well, I uh, with I think it's probably I don't have to disclose much here, but as a f- underwater photographer, I probably spend more money than I care to count with them. Uh, but you know that that aside, uh, when I was listening to to the rough cut, uh, yeah, it was kind of awesome to to hear his journey as as an underwater videographer and why he kind of mm-hmm. uh, pivots more towards video than he does the photo and then sort of projects he's done and and how much joy he gets out of it. So yeah, that was, that was yeah. a lot of fun to listen to even as a, as a photographer, it's always nice to see what other people are doing with the, the other art form, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And I would say from my end, spending a, a good amount, probably like you said, an unhealthy amount of time. Once I figured out that this was the website that he was on and poking around there, like his videos are pretty <laughs> cool. One of the things that stuck out to me from them was the seemingly, well, I mean, obviously I guess you have to do that as a pro videographer, but just the way that he does his edits and his cuts on his videos and the way that he syncs those up to like the timing on the music and what have you. And uh, I felt like obviously, you know, drawn right into it because it kind of hits on all those factors, like an emotional connection and then a piece to the water that, you know, that you're seeing that you otherwise would not have the ability to. So I was pretty disappointed not to be able to jump on that, but uh, very happy that you guys were able to knock it out of the park for us. And, you know, now I can listen as a fan. Yeah, there's a there's a difference in editing where you edit to your music, you know, and it's a and it's a mm-hmm. whole production versus like you do a video edit and then you throw some audio under. It right. doesn't, you know, it, it feels different. You can tell he edits, you know, he edits with the feeling in mind and uh, it's a good it's a good edit. 
Yeah, I'd say if you haven't had a chance to listen to the episode, obviously go check it out. But uh, also mm-hmm. check out wildshutterimaging.com where he's got his videos. Yeah. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Mm-hmm. So, Nick, we've got a interview coming out about the show in a magazine. What's that about? So after we chatted with uh, Russell Clark here on the podcast uh, from Diver Mag, um, I, him and I had a chat and uh, I wrote a piece about the podcast for Diver Mag. And that should be coming out in your mailbox Anytime this week, technically. So by the time this week, this episode airs, um, you should have a copy in your mailbox if you're subscribed to Diver Mag. If not, you should head on over to their website because for less than the price of a pizza, you can get a subscription. Yeah, that's a yearly subscription, right? Like that's the. And that was a total, total shameless plug. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. It's our show. We can shamelessly plug anyone we want. That's right. And uh, yeah, it's a quarterly uh, magazine and it's chock full of goodness. And uh, I haven't subscribed to a magazine in a long time. But after uh, after we had Russell on the episode, I uh, went ahead and subscribed. I've had a couple of them arrive since then. And uh, yeah, great, great magazine and uh, definitely worth the, I don't know, it's like 12 bucks or something. It's dirt cheap. Yep. Totally worth it. I mean, not to mention the fact that like Nick said, you get to read about us. Oh, okay. Well, that might be a detractor, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> And for for a no. change, you know, we 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 did a, you know, I think the backstory to that is we also got together probably for the first time since we started the podcast because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We've we we bump into each other at dive sites at a dive shop, but it's very rare that we were actually together. So we actually did a photo shoot together um, for yeah. some photos for the article. So yeah, check all that out. Put a face to the voice if you don't know who we are. Check out the magazine <laughs> and find out uh, find out a little bit more about us. I guess yeah, yeah good stuff. Uh, I don't know if they're still going to be able to do that, Justin, because yeah. they're not going to know which voice. <laughs> it's going to be tricky. Uh, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure there's tricky. somewhere, uh, you know, can well, we, at least can, they can pick out April, probably. That's can right. We do a scra- <laughs> can we do a scratch and sniff for audio? <laughs> <laughs> scratch and sniff. Let's do it. Uh, uh, well, this picture smells like roti and coke. That's right. I was going to say, <laughs> this smell like Caribbean <laughs> roti. <laughs> and we're good to go. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I'm from Las Vegas. We'll just leave that one alone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> moving oh, on. man. Yeah. <laughs> so, Justin, what have we got going on in the news this week? Well, we've got a couple things to chat about. First was a uh, little story that kind of resonated because I've, uh, I've heard it locally before. So uh, I'll tell you what happened. Three divers were rescued recently by a ferry crew who noticed them having an issue getting back to shore, presumably due to the tidal waters moving swiftly. And uh, two of the divers had to be rescued by a recovery boat launched from the ferry, and a third was thrown a life ring. The fourth actually managed to make it back to the shoreline and needed no rescue. All the divers were checked out by medical professionals and found to be okay. So, you know, good story, uh, but, you know, a lesson like, you know, you got to know about the tides and and all that stuff going on when when you're diving. Uh, I found it interesting, though, and it kind of struck a chord because I had heard about some local divers having the same issue. They were off diving on an island uh, that was serviced by a ferry and uh, they were in some uh, in some tidal water that was moving faster than they uh, they had previously planned. And they had to get picked up by a ferry as well. So I wonder. wonder how often that's happening. I wonder how often people misjudge currents, and, you know, do a little floating before getting back to shore or getting picked up by a boat. 
Probably a lot more than you would think, because I, I would imagine in most cases people do do their scuba instruction right in in conditions mm-hmm. that are probably not subject to those things. Yeah, and uh, you know if you don't do your your discover local diving or you're you're just kind of jump in without paying attention or you know being unaware, mm-hmm. uh, it's in a tidal area that can happen really fast. Yeah, I always think about that because you know we teach people in. Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is on the Atlantic side of Nova Scotia and has little to no tidal issues other than like if you want to have a dive site a little bit deeper or a little bit shallower, it might affect the entry. Uh, but on the other side, on the on the western shore of Nova Scotia, we've got the Bay of Fundy, which has got the, the largest tide in the world. And, uh, and as such, if you mistime your scuba dive, you could be floating a long time before somebody gets uh, out there to pick you up. And you could be pretty far from where you started because uh, the flow is something that's amazing to see. So, uh, yeah, I always feel like, you know, when I'm talking to students, I'm like, yeah, it's easy here. You don't really have to worry about tides much, but just, you know, keep in mind, uh, Bay of Fundy is a whole different animal. And I think that's one of those ones where you do have to be uh, aware of your surroundings and kind of try to find a, a local experienced diver, right? When mm-hmm. we, jo- we joke around about saying like, yeah, it's shore diving, you know, just pick up and go diving somewhere. You don't necessarily need to have a guide, but in some of those places, it is relatively dangerous. And, uh, and we were hanging out on uh, one of the islands, I forget now, down past Big Digby. And they had actually closed it off to diving because a few people had uh, had died as a result of misjudging tides. So, you know, it's it's one of these ones where really, like, you know, be aware of your surroundings, check in with a local dive shop if there is one and find somebody who is very keenly aware of their surroundings and experienced diving in those conditions. Yeah. I mean, before you go jumping into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that if you went, you know, you did a swim far enough from shore here at, at- when the tide's changing, you know, like think of Birchie Head, we, you get a, you can get mm-hmm. a quite a decent current there if you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, I, I guess, locally for us divers here locally, it's it can be a concern, but... No, that's true. Yeah, it's definitely... This is definitely something to keep in mind and probably why the conversation starts in the, in the you know, open water. Something to watch out for. Speaking of open water, uh, the other bit in the news is the Caribbean Cup has a schedule. So it's a seventh year of competition since 2013. They didn't didn't happen last year because of COVID, but this year the Caribbean Cup will be happening August 11th through the 18th. The Caribbean Cup is an open event for all apneas, and it's an ADA-sanctioned event, so it's exciting to see the cool dive in Rotan happening uh, in just a well, just a few, what, two months, I guess. But uh, feels like just weeks away, I guess. If you're uh, if you're a free diver planning to uh, to to compete at the Caribbean cup, you, uh, you're on your way to row 10 pretty soon. Well, speaking of, uh, weeks away, the, um, the vertical blue competition starts July 13th to 23rd. So that is literally weeks away. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. we mentioned that before, right? So that's going to be available yep. on dive. I, and, uh, that's the big one. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to that. It's going to be an excellent summer for competitions, uh, free diving competitions. Uh, links to both of those articles are in the show notes. So check that out to find out more and definitely follow uh, follow along as uh, as everybody starts breaking records left right and center this summer in freedive. All right. Well, I guess uh, I guess we should get on to the main event tonight and that is our interview with Lena Oyala and Martina Gorlaska. Lena is a yoga and fitness instructor as well as an Ada freediving instructor who seeks to provide students with a supportive and motivative learning environment. 
Martina is also an Ada freediving instructor who applies meditation to her freediving and considers enjoying the ocean and safety intertwined. Welcome to the podcast, Lena and Martina. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. It's yeah. an honor. We're excited to be here. Uh, we're really happy to have you on. How are you guys doing today? Having a pretty good day so far. No complaints. It's a pretty nice day huh? here in Maui. We have a little bit of a wind and uh, <laughs> nice sunny weather. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's great. I, uh, I always get yeah. jealous when I see Maui. <laughs> Just I was going to say, uh, for, for a change, it's not winter over here now that we're interviewing somebody, so we don't have to complain about the, the cold. <laughs> How is it over there? Is it warm? Uh, yeah, it's actually pretty decent for, for Canada. Um, not quite Maui temperatures, but it's it's warm enough to walk around in t-shirt and shorts, so it's pretty good. Have you guys been in the water? Uh, we dive all year, yeah, yeah. It never stops. We should probably not be comparing water temperatures. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm up in the Northumberland Strait right now, uh, which is the warmest part of the water in Nova Scotia. That's uh, that's ocean, and it's still probably only around 15 degrees or so Celsius. So, I think around yeah, around 60. But uh, that's swimming water around here, so pretty nice. Yeah, that sounds really cold. <laughs> we get cold here. So. <laughs> I don't know if we can handle. I I noticed that when I was in Hawaii that everybody was wearing thick wetsuits and I was like, why is everyone wearing thick wetsuits? It's not not that cold here. We wear wetsuits <laughs> year round. I, I wear three mil in the summer and I will mm. still occasionally get cold. <laughs> Amit's got like, Amit's got no pity. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, if you put it in context, I guess like uh, we will head out in our dry suits and the water temperature will often get like just about approaching zero. Uh, and then the surface temperatures are often like in the minus 20s. So we've come out of the water and your only solution to your problems of how to get out of your suit are to unzip your everything and undo your laces because otherwise they freeze on you. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I mean, it's good fun. Like, you know, it gives you some great bra bragging rights when you're like, yeah, the water was zero and it was minus 20 and my suit froze on me while I was diving. So, well, I shouldn't say while you're diving, when you got out of the water, but. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely cold. Up to yeah. now, I thought that we were dedicated, but it's nothing compared to what you guys are doing. <laughs> well, see, and you might appreciate this, right? Because I, I think I'm originally from the Caribbean, as is like Nick is from the Caribbean as well. So I also have this other side of me that is like every time I do that, I'm like, I absolutely must love this thing about diving because I despise winter. And I don't even acknowledge that Nova Scotia has beaches. I just think we have nice coastline. Um, you know, just coming from the Caribbean, there's just, I've never seen anything where I'm like, yeah, that's a great beach. I'm like, it's a beautiful coastline, but I fail to see how it's a beach since the water's so cold. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, we should probably actually dive into the interview here with Lena and Martina. Uh, you guys are both transplants to Hawaii. Where are you both originally from? And how did you come to call Maui home? So, um, my dad is from Finland and my mom's from California. So I'm a hybrid and I kind of grew up all over the place. I moved to Maui from Oregon. Um, I've been here for just over seven years now. Um, and I actually moved here originally because of a job offer. I never really thought I would stay longer than two years. Uh, but obviously I did. So here we are. I'm originally from Poland. Um, I left Poland, however, when I was 19 and um, I've kind of been bouncing around. Um, I moved to Hawaii for um, college. So I moved to um, Honolulu in 2008 
just quite a while ago now that I think about it. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah. I, I've, I love it here. I knew it from uh, the first few weeks I was here that I don't really see myself living any, anywhere else. Well, that's, that's awesome. Martina, you, you uh, mentioned that your parents were swim coaches, so you must have had uh, quite a close relationship with the water your whole life or maybe not. Not at all. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> yes. They, they were, they were trying to make me in, into a swimmer and I was uh, resisting that since a very young age. Um, and I grew up on the swimming pools because they would drag me, you know, with them. Uh, but I've never really enjoyed being in the swimming pool. Um, right. I mean, swimming pools in Poland in the 80s is not, mm. you know, it's very full of chlorine and cold and not pleasant. Um, so they quickly gave up on that. And um, although I did learn how to swim, but I've never um, really um, got into swimming, so to speak, growing up. Lena, you're also from Finland and California, two places that have strong connections to the water. Do you feel that from a young age? No. Um, no. I really was in the ocean that much. I mean, when we'd visit California, <laughs> we'd go to Santa Cruz and, you know, get in the water, but it's freezing cold and there's lots of seaweed. I never did any kind of diving or, I mean, we would just body surf. But that was maybe every other year. And um, in Finland, I would just swim in the swimming pool. So not really. My idea when I, of swimming when I first moved to Maui was getting in the water because I was too hot from sitting on the beach. So <laughs> when I got into freediving, I'd never really had much experience with ocean sports. Wow. That's very cool. So I guess, how did you two then end up come to discover freediving? Was it just from that interaction in Maui or had you ever, you know, did you do like the gateway drug of snorkeling and then decided that you wanted to push it further into the freediving world? I think for myself, I... I really loved the ocean since I moved here. Um, I actually took quite uh, kite surfing um, a year after okay. I moved to um, Oahu and I was kiting for a bit and I always enjoyed snorkeling and, and just, you know, playing in the waves. And um, when I moved to Maui, I was doing quite a bit of stand-up paddling and I had this really strange fear. I was always very comfortable in the ocean as long as I could see the bottom. Like the idea, for example, to jump off the paddleboard uh, far offshore was terrifying for me. And it wasn't anything specific. I wasn't afraid of sharks. It was just some, some strange fear that I had. And, um, some of my friends were free diving and I was asking them about it. And I thought to myself like, Oh, maybe if I try doing this, I could overcome the fear. And that was really my main reason to take a free diving course. And I, I literally remember taking the course and thinking like, oh my God, this is so stupid. Why would people go in the middle of the ocean, drop a line and go upside down? Like, <laughs> and um, well, here we are five years later. <laughs> but, um, it, it did help me to overcome my fear uh, of the um, um, open water. And um, yeah, I've, I've been diving ever since. More or less on and off. I think we, we actually um, started started diving more when I met Lena, which was a couple of years after I took the course. Yeah. So for me, I mean, I've always liked snorkeling. Um, I wouldn't say I've been like a, you know, super snorkeler or anything, but I just had somebody teach me how to free dive. And once I figured out how to equalize, that was it for me. I just continued with it and yeah, fell in love with the sport. Um, well, we'll touch a little bit more on, on the instructor side of your journey, but, uh, before that, how, how did your freediving journeys evolve? Like from the time you took that first course and, and how did you progress from there? 
So basically I took a free diving course and I had the opportunity to actually train quite a bit from that first course. So, um, yeah, I had the opportunity to go out in the ocean at least once a week and just continue to dive on a line and kind of hone my skills that way. So yeah, I, I would say I probably had the best opportunity just cause it was available to me, um, whenever I wanted to, unlike some people that, you know, if they go on vacation, they take a free diving course and then they go back to wherever they live and don't have access to the ocean. It's a little bit more challenging. We're super blessed here on Maui to have access to open ocean all the time. And usually there's at least somewhere on the Island where it's calm enough that we can dive. Yeah. That's a super cool factor. Yeah. It helps. Uh, for myself, I, um, after taking that course, I was kind of, you know, stoked on the fact that I was, um, I overcame my fear, but I wouldn't say I was hooked on free diving, um, like depth diving, line diving. I was still finding that idea kind of not too interesting, but I, <laughs> I really enjoyed diving down on the reefs and check the fish and, um, spending time underwater. And I wanted to, um, explore spearfishing. That was something that always interested me. And that's kind of actually how Lena and I connected, um, a mutual, a friend um, told us that we were both kind of interested in finding a buddy to go spearfish with. So about what, four years ago, three years ago, 2017. So yeah, four years oh, yeah. ago been four years. <laughs> um, so that's how uh, we connected. And um, Lena also was interested at the time in land line diving. So um, she kind of dragged mm. me to it. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'll go spearfishing with you, but then you go line diving with me. She literally dragged you down, huh? <laughs> but after the first session, she's like, "Oh, this is cool. When can we go again?" <laughs> yes, because in in the course that I took, um, there was only like one 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 session in the water, and I wasn't all that into it. But when I went with Lena, and this is a year or a year and a half later, um, I I really enjoyed it. And yes, ever since the spearfishing kind of faded away slowly. <laughs> Well, I want to. I want to know. Um, speaking of the spearfishing, Martina, what, what's the diving like there in Maui? Are there any unique sites or wildlife that stand out? Oh, so much! <laughs> it, well, it's really beautiful. We are surrounded yeah. by um, some amazing reef structures, and um, they vary mm -hmm. depending of where you are on the island, on which side of the island. Um, for spearfishing, um, you know, if we swim out, there's a lot of sites where you can just swim out and um, be at um, a spot where um, you can hunt fish. Mm. And it's fairly popular here. There's a lot of spearfishermen that are, are local. It's, it's kind of a thing that people do here, people who grew up here. So it's a fairly popular right. hobby. Yeah. How would you describe the freediving community then in Maui? Because obviously, like you're saying, like it's the spearfishing is connected very much so to the to the culture within the island, but uh, is freediving similarly associated to that, or is it a little bit different? It's different. I would say that the freediving community is growing. More people are becoming interested in purely just freediving, whether it's line diving or you know taking photos or you know just diving for fun um, versus purely just spearfishing for sustenance. <laughs> Um, I'd say that probably in the last five years, it's, is when it's grown the most. And we probably have more freediving instructors on the Island at this point in time than we have ever in the past. So that's pretty cool. Well, one of our goals with starting to, to teach, um, and, and creating our, um, our school was to create a community of safe divers and, you know, just 
a community of people that can go dive together and feel secure with each other. I see a lot of people that spearfish, but they haven't necessarily had any kind of formal training. And so they don't know anything about safety. Um, they may not know how to equalize properly. And they've just, you know, learned from their uncle or somebody that just taught them how to spearfish and how to go down, you know, find the fish in the caves or whatever else, or catch taco, um, which is um, how, or what we call octopus here in Hawaii. Yeah, our goal has been to create safer divers and also have a community of people that just want to purely free dive, whether it's um, connected to spearfishing or not. That's uh, that's interesting because I actually had that as a question a little bit later on because Hawaii always in my mind always seems like this this really big ocean culture place, but it sounds that safety is still an issue despite that fact, right? Yeah, unfortunately, we over the course of the pandemic, a lot of people had spare time, and so we had we had people going out spear fishing, and we had quite a few people die. Whether they were, yeah, whether they were diving alone or they were too far away from their diving partner or whatever else happened, you know, if there's, it's kind of hard to know. They just went missing. Mm. So we don't know exactly what happened, but yeah. So the whole never dive without a buddy thing, I guess, hasn't been instilled in as many people as well as it should have been. Yeah. It it seems that's, that's a bit of a thing everywhere. So, um, that that's, that's something that keeps being an issue. So Lena, I had a question for you because yoga and sort of fitness kind of tie into freediving in a lot of ways. And, and you're an instructor in both of those as well. How, how does that, how does that complement your freediving lifestyle? Oh, I think it complements it very well. Um, I mean, obviously it helps keep me in shape. I don't, I wouldn't say that being a yoga instructor necessarily makes me like a better freediver, but it doesn't hurt. So having that knowledge of um, the body and breathing and meditation for sure helps. But I think that freediving is such an individual sport that every person has to find their own method of um, how it's going to feel comfortable and enjoyable for them. So for me, I'm sure that yoga helps, but I wouldn't necessarily like prescribe it as a necessary thing for everyone that wants to freedive, that they have to do that. There might be some freedivers that would disagree with you on that. <laughs> well, maybe that's a tool that works for them. But I'm sure there's there's top divers that have never done yoga as well. Yeah, I'm just teasing you. Um, Lena, you said earlier that, uh, you know, we were talking about the spearfishing in Hawaii and, and all that. Um, but what's your approach or your philosophy to spearfishing? That's a good question. I mean, it's, I like to spearfish to eat fish, simply put. Um, I, I don't eat meat. I do eat fish, but I pretty much only eat fish that either I have caught or a friend has caught in terms of that. And I'm pretty picky about the type of fish I eat as well. So I'm usually only going for like a couple different types of fish when I'm out yeah. spearfishing. So it's very specific. That's one of the reasons why I enjoy spearfishing. You can be really selective about what you're catching. No, nope, that makes a lot of sense. We both like the same kind of fish. So when we go out spearfishing together, it, there's times when we won't even see the fish that we want. And we'll just, you know, for, I think for both of us, being in the water in any form, it's always a great time. So the fish is kind of like the cherry on the cake. Yes, it's great to, to catch the fish. But if we don't, it's not like, you know, we're devastated. It didn't it's a good thing that our, our livelihood doesn't depend on our spearfishing because otherwise... <laughs> We'd be screwed. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Well, on that note, I think we'll take a short break and we'll be back with more from Lena and Martina of Freedive Ohana. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor, Torpedo Rays Scuba. Torpedo Rays is a local dive shop in Nova Scotia. If you're not in Nova Scotia, that's okay. They've got a wonderful website, torpedorays.com, T-O-R-P-E-D-O-R-A-Y-S.com. All of the scuba gear you could ever need is there. If you can't find it, give Jason a call, 902-481-0444, and he'll be happy to help you out. And these challenging times, it's always great to shop local. Don't go to a huge, big box help support your local dive shop buy something you've had your eye on excellent time to make a good deal buy a gift certificate to use later whatever the case may be torpedo rays and torpedorays.com will be there for you once again their number is 902-481-0444 or torpedorays.com hi it's Stephen whelan i'm the founder of deeperblue.com and host of the deeper blue podcast You're listening to the best 30 minutes about diving. Oh, no, hold on a sec. I'm on the wrong podcast. This is the best 60 minutes about diving. Dive in the podcast. Welcome back to Dive in the Podcast. We're speaking with uh, Lena and Martina. Lena and Martina are both certified ADA freediving instructors and owners of Freedive Ohana, freediving school based in Maui, Hawaii. So I've got to ask, uh, becoming a freediving instructor is quite an accomplishment and the performance requirements can be pretty significant. Now, I'm saying this based on my conversations with Nick, and it has absolutely nothing to do with any experience that I have. Um, (laughs) But, you know, for some agencies, I'm told this is actually more than others. So what, what made you guys decide to go down that path of becoming instructors? Well, we both love free diving. And kind of like we mentioned before, we wanted to be able to share it with our community and here on Maui, we obviously have a lot of tourism as well. So it opened up the opportunity to share free diving with the visitors that come to the island. I guess we also like each other and we like being in the water. So it's like a great excuse to be um, working and doing what you love. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can kind of relate to that because uh, I think like when I started doing the scuba diving thing, I felt like, how can I find excuses to be in the water and then justify them? Uh, and then I was like, Hmm, if I'm teaching a class, I could probably claim that that's a work related thing. <laughs> and you know, So <laughs> it really kind of built my, my passion to instruct as well. Like, you know, so that's, and yeah, it's, it's easier when I, when I tell my wife and daughters, ah, it's just, I got to work this weekend. It's going to be a rough <laughs> go, but I'll be in the ocean for five or six dives. <laughs> I don't want to do it, but somebody's going to do it. Yeah, somebody's um, got to get out there and get it done. Yeah. You both took your instructor course with uh, Jonathan Sonnex at, at Blue Element in Dominica. Can, can you tell us a little bit what it's like to, to learn under Johnny? Um, yeah, well, we did quite extensive research before we decided, first of all, on the agency that we wanted to do the training with. And then on the instructor um, I got a lot of feedback from um, from people who have taken um, instructor courses with um, different instructors around the world, and we kind of narrowed it, narrowed it down to um, a few names, and um, Johnny was one of them. And um, 
we really liked the idea of going to Dominica because it sounded so exotic and, you know, it was probably like the hardest one to get to. <laughs> it, it was, it was the hardest agency to, to become the instructor and the hardest destination to, to make your way to. So that was just, just what we like. <laughs> we like a challenge. Um, so yeah, we, we went to Dominica for about what, three weeks, mm-hmm. three and a half weeks. Um, we gave ourselves some slack time before um, and some time after the course to um, to enjoy the island. And um, I'm not sure what what I can say about the the instructor course itself. It was it's pretty straightforward. I think the idea is to teach you how to teach. You are um, supposed to already know how to be a, a, a decent diver and um, able to perform all the requirements. Um, it was definitely intense. We have had, I think it was eight days and they were all really full. Um, Johnny was extremely patient with us and, um, he's, he's a good friend. So we're, we were going to be forever grateful. <laughs> yeah. Johnny was a great instructor. He shared, he shared a lot of knowledge with us. I would say probably the most important thing that we learned from him was proper safety, which I know he's big on and he's been you know, coordinator of safety for a lot of competitions a lot of um, world record dives. So I think that was invaluable information experience that we learned from him, but also just how to share information with our students, how to correct them, um, how to give them what he calls the shit sandwich, which I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, um, that was another great tool to learn. So yeah, it was a great experience overall. Set us up to be able to do what we're doing now. And Nick, you know, because you've been there, Dominica is quite an amazing place to dive. So just, just yeah. being there and diving, um, made it a lot more, um, pleasant, I guess, to do the course. Cause the course actually has tons of theory. So there's a lot of sitting, um, and then just reading and talking, um, and, and learning that way. But the being able to just kind of walk out after and go dive, swim out to the platform in five minutes, be able to access the line and the depth. And that was, that was pretty great. Yeah, there's probably there's probably a few better places to to do a course like that, right? In terms of setup. Yeah, when the cool thing was that the Blue Element competition was happening, I think what like two weeks after um, our course ended, so we got to meet some of the divers that were taking part in the competition, such as yourself, Nick. <laughs> I mean, I knew you from before, um, and yeah. <laughs> and witnessed some of the dives as well in their training. So that was really cool for us. Yeah, it was it was really nice to to kind of reconnect. It's uh, yeah, it's such a small freediving, such a small world. So it's always nice when you you bump into somebody along the way. So after you got your instructor training under your belt, how did you come to form Freedive Ohana? We were actually already doing what is called an Airbnb experience. I don't know if you guys have heard of those, but it's it's basically like booking a, a tour or an experience. Some that's that you would book the same as you book accommodations through Airbnb. So we're doing that and just doing what we called advanced snorkeling. And, um, through that, we had already kind of figured out how, (laughs) how we would work together, which was a good test to run before actually starting a business together. And so once we were certified, we just put all of our energy then into setting up courses and, you know, it started off slow. And then of course the pandemic hit pretty much right after we started teaching. So we had a couple months of, um, just training ourselves because we weren't allowed to run any commercial activity in ocean waters on Maui for, I think it was like about two months. 
And then from there, we slowly started to pick back up again and started teaching some courses. And mostly we were just um, getting our clients through word of mouth. So, and that's pretty much how it's been since we've started. We did a little bit of advertising, but not a huge amount. Also with the pandemic, the the people who live here um, all of a sudden were left with a lot of time on their hands. So we had quite a nice um, amount of people locally here uh, who were taking courses and that kind of continues to be the case. Yeah, it, it seems like the pandemic kind of took away some opportunities and, and opened up some others. So that's kind of interesting how maybe it played out in ways you didn't expect. I, I was just curious, what is the, the word Ohana mean in, in the name of your school and, and why did you choose it? Well, Ohana uh, loosely translated is basically family. And we chose it because we wanted to create this sense of a, of a family, of a community of divers. And um, in, in Hawaiian, it doesn't mean like necessarily your direct family. It means everyone that you're connected to through, um, you know, your social network or your network of um, people that you know that you rely on for different things or that you spend time with. So that's why we went with that name. So uh, how would you describe your teaching philosophy when it comes to allowing your students to reach new depths? Supportive. (laughs) (laughs) I think Lena will agree. We try not to, uh, although there all the courses have requirements, we, we, we are more focused on like building a structure that um, the students can take with them and um, making sure that they're safe divers. And, um, you know, every now and then you will have somebody who struggles with equalization and they're just, we try not to push them um, because we do have access here to go in the water. Um, so if for any reason a person cannot meet the requirements, we still um, kind of try to go once a week with our students and especially the students who either recently graduated or who um, have some issues, mostly equalization issues. And we, when we work with them and then we also dive for ourselves. So um, it's something that um, we try to um, continue as like the, the free diving community ex- uh, expands here. Um, our teaching philosophy we have an approach where we teach the individual so everyone's different right everyone's coming to a course with a different level of experience even a different level of interest to some degree people are taking the course for different reasons so we do try to provide instruction that's going to help them with whatever their specific goal is and that goal might change throughout the course as well so we just try to take that into consideration and the nice thing about having the two of us teach together is we can provide different types of feedback to the students. So it's not like they're just getting um, one person's perspective. And sometimes I might say something to a student that doesn't quite land, but then when Martin explains it to them in a different way, they get it and, you know, vice versa. So that's also um, something that we can provide. And I think goes with our um, supportive teaching philosophy as well. And it doesn't mean that we're not pushing our students at all. Of course, there's, you know, if a student needs to be pushed a little bit, we'll make sure that happens for sure. <laughs> we also try to, to get feedback from the students um, on, you know, what they need. We always ask at the beginning of the class of like, what are their goals? So, you know, and it varies from spearfishing or some people come with a certain level of anxiety about being in the water in general. So um, as Lena mentioned, we try to approach everybody individually and give people as much of individual attention as we can. And just make sure that everybody is also, we want people to have fun 
so that they'll continue to do it and don't leave with a sour taste in their mouth. Uh, you said that you guys are teaching together. Did you always intend to do that or did that evolve out of uh, your courses? No, that was always the intention. We have a lot more fun teaching when we teach together. Of course, there's times when we can't always teach together. Or if we have a smaller group, one of us will opt to just teach that course. Say if it's like a one star or something that we just teach in the course of day. But most all of our courses we've taught together. And this was something that, as Lena mentioned, that was always our intention. We wanted to do this together as a team. Um, And it was just also, it was an appeal for us that it's, you know, we're, we're really close friends and that would just be something like our baby. We can just um, have that. How have your students reacted to the team approach? So far, so good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's some people who, you know, um, we, we, we kind of know our personality personalities and sometimes we'll just switch students on the line. So it's like, okay, you go train with her and I'll take that person. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I think overall, I mean, the students have had a great response to it. I think that they see the benefit in having two instructors and having... It's not like our teaching styles are completely different. Obviously, we both did the same training. but So we have the, the same amount of knowledge. But, you know, just watching people's technique or giving them tips in a different way, um, just with different verbiage can even make a difference for somebody in terms of how they understand it. Or seeing something demonstrated in a slightly different way can help right. them. Yeah, and I, I think like when, you know, when you look at that, we often speak about like the... I guess the importance of diversity in different in different job environments, right? And we think about the idea that like if you want to build a strong team environment or a team business, it's great to have like different people uh, working together and bringing new ideas and new thoughts into the, the fold. And I feel like when you're in, at least for me, if, if I'm in a team teaching environment, sometimes as an instructor, I may be struggling to get a, you know, I guess a skill across to a student, but the other instructor who might be co-teaching with me has been observing what's going on and maybe what the student's responding to and not. And I feel like maybe that's where there was some benefit in the times that I've co-taught uh, courses as well, because then I can step away from it when I'm maybe not being as successful at imparting that those skills. And then the other, the other instructor kind of pops in and says, Hey, well, you know, did you try this? And, and the student's able to respond pretty well to it. So that kind of ability to have a second person on your shoulder kind of observing what's happening. It seems like it'd be a pretty neat model to work from. Yeah, absolutely. It's great because I mean, the worst thing that can happen to you as an instructor is getting frustrated with your student because they're not getting something yeah. because ultimately yeah. it's never the student's fault. It's always the instructor that, you know, needs to change their teaching approach in order to get the information to land with the student. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's great to be able to, have somebody who can provide a different perspective. And so on that note of, I guess, diversity in many different areas, uh, you happen to be the only female freediving instructors in Maui. Do you find that this helps reach a more diverse audience? Certainly notice that we do get a lot of um, female students probably because of the factor that we are also female. I think it maybe seems just a little bit less intimidating to take a course with us. Um, And because our approach is a little bit, I guess, more gentle in the sense that we're not trying to push people towards reaching performance goals. um, Maybe that might also be a factor because like I said, most of our advertising has been word of mouth. So 
I'm assuming anyway, that people are sharing their experiences of their course. And that's why we're getting um, <laughs> more experience or more um, requests from other people. So yeah, for sure. I mean, we do obviously get um, male students as well. It's not like we're all, all just um, getting all female students. Uh, but yeah, I think that it's opened up um, a door for a lot of other women and girls to want to pursue the sport. Um, Martina, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but um, what is it that made you decide that you would um, become instructors and then teach under the Ada banner versus maybe another agency? I overanalyze everything. So once we made our, our mind up that we would like to be an instructor, I literally made a spreadsheet equivalent of, okay, which organization has what kind of a requirements and um, I kind of spoke with few people who were certified under different agencies and got their feedback. And um, at the time, and I think that's not no longer the case, but at the time, Ida had the um, hardest requirements for instructors. And um, Lena and I talked and we decided that, you know, if we're going to do it, we want to kind of do it with the best. And we, in our opinion, Ida was, was that. Um, we wanted to do a proper training and um, there, there was most in-depth and also their courses. At the time when we were comparing different schools and different courses were like, way um they incorporated way more than than adults other schools and and they were harder and there's you know three ocean sessions two pool sessions three theory sessions and that's just for one course versus um, a lot of other schools have kind of less or they have some kind of um, distance learning uh, options and things like that that was our decision plus there is very few ida instructors in the u.s so we just thought okay we'll try that (laughs) Sounds like a very pragmatic approach. Uh, I think I would I would highly support that in all decision making. It's sort of my philosophy on things. Actually, if we can put in a request to anybody from Ida that might ever be listening to this, is to have the option to um, just teach uh, ocean skills. I mean, like depth skills, because we even though obviously we do incorporate all the pool sessions when we're teaching um, two or three star courses we do find it less necessary than the ocean sessions, especially because most of the people that are taking our course are going to be utilizing these skills in the ocean and not in the pool, which I know like the Molchanov system offers that, which is great. We actually did consider for a second crossing over, but we're content with where we're at right now. So, (laughs) and I think sometimes that's kind of one of the the pieces where, you know, it's important for agencies to kind of, listen to and respond to their instructors who are in the field doing the work so that they can stay current with maybe evolving needs for, you know, for teaching and for students. So yeah, pretty great point there. So I guess one of the questions I had for you was kind of what courses do you offer and what do you feel that students can expect when they come diving with you? So we teach um, the IDA one star, which is a beginner intro level course. It's great for people who um, kind of want to, explore freediving a little bit, but they're not committed enough to put the resources and time to take a a full three-day course. Um, So that we teach that over a course of half a day. And um, it's been kind of popular. And we had a lot of people who took the the level one, one one-star course and immediately wanted to do the the second level because they really liked it and decided that they do want to, in fact, commit to um, 
learning more. And then we offer our two-star course, which is probably the most popular. It, we teach that over three days. We could potentially t- teach it over two days, but we like to give people some time in between. We don't, we don't have a need to cram it into, into two days. So, um, there is quite a bit of theory. Um, we do three ocean sessions and two pool sessions, and then we have exam at the end. And, um, that, that's been a really fun course to teach. We've really enjoyed that. And we recently just started teaching the three-star course, which is more advanced and that's over two weekends. But in order to take that course, uh, you need to, um, take the two-star course before. So obviously we're just building enough momentum to have enough students that are interested in um, taking it up a notch. And I think the three star is mostly designed to kind of prepare you to train on your own and explore, not on your own, of course, with the body, but <laughs> um, to kind of have the tools to, um, to structure your own training and um, go more into depth per se. Do you teach from the shore or do you teach off of a boat? Uh, we teach from the shore. We are really fortunate. We have a, a great um, sunken boat that is about 10 minutes swim from the shore. And we just hook up to the boat. And it's it's great for the students because they have something to kind of focus on to when they get closer closer to it. And um, yeah, we haven't that we, we've, we, we've been teaching from the shore. We have other spots too where we go, but this is our most um, favorite one. Um, Weather dependent, we have other two or three spots that we can go to. Nice. It's good to have options for sure. So I have a question. Have either of you had any close calls, like maybe blackout or samba in the water? And if so, what have you learned from that? Well, both of us, yes, have had close calls. We were in very safe situations, fortunately. So nothing happened to either of us. Well, we learned several things from them, you know, as the Ida system teaches you to, you know, review your diving and what might have happened and what would have caused that. We, we did that and we really thought about what we needed to change in those specific dives in order to have them be um, successful the next time we attempted them. And we both only blacked out one time each and it's never happened again. The goal is to not have it happen again. Of course we can't promise that, but we try to, we try to be, you know, not super aggressive with our approach, even to our own training and just enjoy the process because I mean, we're only doing it for doing free diving for ourselves. So there's no reason to push ourselves to any kind of blackout or injury. But in, in reflecting on it later, we both, kind of agreed that it's a good experience to have, although I personally wish it did not happen. But once it happened, I thought, okay, well, at least I kind of know how it feels and um, I can talk about it to the students. And, um, you know, Lena witnessed it. Um, I I was there where she, when she blacked out too. I think it's more traumatizing for the person who is actually rescuing than the one being <laughs> right. rescued. Yeah, for sure. As, as she said, I, I hope it never happens again. Uh, we, we both made some mistakes and we, we know now not to make them. But yeah, it is good to have had the experience. Um, I, I'm actually kind of glad that it happened just so that I do know what it's like. And yeah, it's, it's something to share with students because inevitably it's going to be a question when you start talking about it in class. So to have had the experience... I wouldn't say it like legitimizes you as a diver, but it gives you a little bit more depth in terms of um, telling them 
what it's like and in, in case it were ever to happen to them so that they would know exactly what to do. And we actually had a student who um, was, she was one of our first students and um, a bunch of her and other students went out diving when, um, after they took the course and um, she has a massive breath hold and she was doing a, a long hang and blacked out coming back. And we got this really sweet text, um, both of us in the evening saying like, well, so this happened, but we knew exactly what to do. And, you know, all the safety just kicked in and it was automatic and everything is fine. And that was kind of really rewarding and, and good to hear. I appreciate you sharing that with us. It's part of learning experience. Um, I've had a couple of blackouts myself and I don't know how much I should share on the air, but, um, <laughs> I actually yeah, remember uh, talking to you about that in Dominica. <laughs> yeah. I think there, there's definitely a learning experience from, from that. And I think, uh, I, yeah, I kind of, I, I can kind of resonate with what Lena says, you know, you don't want to sort of trivialize it, but it, it does add to your body of experience. So Lena, I wanted to ask in, in what ways would you say, Freediving has allowed you to connect with yourself? Well, freediving has been really good for me because I have the tendency to really want to push myself and overdo it quite often, especially when it comes to physical activities. And I feel like freediving is a sport where you really just can't do that um, or you're going to risk injury and risk a situation where you're just not going to be able to continue with the sport. So it's allowed me to really focus on sensations and focus on um, my mind as well and learn how to relax a little bit better, Um, which you'd think as a yoga instructor, that'd be really good at. But I'd say that probably most yoga instructors become instructors because they're kind of crazy and they need something to mellow them out a little bit. So, (laughs) so yeah, I would say that it's allowed me to, First of all, connect with that side of myself that I recognize that is a little bit of a um, perfectionist or overachiever and um, realize that that is not the only way to exist and that there's more of a balance to be found. That's really great. Yeah. Uh, so do you guys have any projects for yourselves coming up or for Freedive Ahana on the horizon as we climb out of the pandemic here? Um, we're going to continue to just teach courses as we have been. We're typically teaching... Um, one two star course a month and pretty much about one one star course a month as well and we'll probably be offering our next three star course we have several students that are ready for it this fall um and then one exciting thing that we're going to be doing is uh, we're doing an amateur competition over on the big island in kona in october so that'll be towards the end of the month in october um, we're not really training for it yet, but <laughs> we'll start at some point, maybe beginning of October. It's literally 30 minute plane flight away. And it's, I mean, for myself, I don't really see myself as a competitor, but I thought I should at least try. It's so easy to do it if it's right here. So it's going to be a nice experience. Plus it'll help us meet other free divers um, in the Hawaiian islands, as well as I'm sure there's people coming from the mainland USA and maybe even other places as well. So it'll just be a great way for us to connect with other free divers and learn more people or meet more people in our community. And you don't have to fly all the way to Dominica for it. Um, <laughs> I think what I really liked about the way you, you sort of, you know, you're so laid back. So yeah, well maybe we'll start training in the early October. I think 
that's probably the best way to go to competition because then you just go and you go like, well, you know, I'm just going to dive, right? You're not going to worry about the outcome necessarily and, and just have fun. And um, I think most free divers have fun at comps, but I've seen I've seen the odd ones stress themselves out a little bit. And I think that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, for both of us, it'll be our first competition. So we know that, you know, it's probably not going to be the most amazing performance of our lives. So... We're just kind of going there with no expectations and just to have a good time and, and see what it's all about and see if it's even anything that we would enjoy doing in the future. I, I think you'll find yourselves hooked. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, we would also probably like to travel somewhere. We've awesome. been thinking about cenotes at some point. It's kind of an hour, hour um, to do um, or wish list, I guess. Um, we were hoping to go in the last year, but obviously that didn't happen. So maybe next year. Um, after the comp, we can go and dive in the cenotes. And, and then maybe we'll hit up some whale sharks on the way too or something. That's a good plan. There you go. Let me know if you Sounds go. Like- I've, I still have to do the cenotes. So. <laughs> For sure. That's awesome. So where can people find you online or find Freedive Ohana online? Well, our website is um, freediveohana.com. So <laughs> it's pretty, pretty simple. Um, we also have an Instagram with the same, yeah. same name. Um it's probably the best way to connect with us. Um, thank you. This is actually our first advertising. <laughs> real advertising. <laughs> we have a pretty small budget, so, so we haven't really advertised um, much at all. So Lena and, and Martina, uh, I want to ask this of each of you. What keeps you diving? I like a challenge and I feel that free diving is like an unlimited source of challenges for me. <laughs> Once I overcome one, then there is another. And, and also I haven't yet met a free diver who has said like, okay, I made it to this depth and I'm good. You know, I'm done. Like, I'm just going to keep diving to this depth. So there's, you, you probably, you know, can dive forever and never feel like you had enough. And then I like that. I, I like that about the sport and I like being connected to myself and, um, and being underwater. So that's what keeps me going. For me, it's pretty simple. It makes me feel good. That's awesome. That might be the most succinct answer that we've ever had. <laughs> That's great, though. Um, Lena and Martina, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, and yeah, fantastic stories. And really appreciate you guys uh, sharing your passion with us. And and just yeah, thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having us. It was pretty great. Yeah, thank you very much. It's awesome that you guys are doing this. And it's cool that you guys are hosting a podcast with four hosts as well. Because as we were discussing before, you get a lot of different <laughs> perspectives that's that way. So <laughs> There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I put I think I put I put a mitt in the awkward spot sometimes because he's very much a, a hardcore side mount technical diver and so free diving is out of his depth so I always appreciate when he when he takes part in wholeheartedly. Okay. Technical um, diving is totally out of our depth, so we find that incredibly impressive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank thank you both. Thank you both for coming on. I feel it's been uh, far too long since I've I've seen both of you. Um, but hopefully we'll uh, catch up in the in the big blue sometime. Yeah, for sure. Let us know when you're coming to Maui. Well, again, that was an awesome interview with Lena and Martina, and that um, was a it was a fun chat. And we've got a few more things to do, so let's head over to Amit for the Deco Stop. 
All right. And so we're going to chat a little bit on the Deco stop about to Deco or not to Deco. So yeah, whether it's as nobler in the hearts and minds of men <laughs> to take up that uh, pony bottle and jump on in the water or to <laughs> abandon it on the side of the boat where sometimes it belongs. And I'll mm. kind of preface this one quickly with, uh, with, with a story that leads into it. And so Nick and I had planned to dive with uh, Jeff and Rennie a little while back on the Daniel Steinman wreck out near Sambro Harbor and I, you know, looked to be a beautiful day. The Harbor was as calm as can be. And we were all prepped up and ready to go for our, for our deco dives. And Mm -hmm. we got out on site and I think the, the ocean didn't seem to see things our way (laughs) and it got to be pretty (laughs) choppy on the way out. Uh, and I think the, I would say we're probably looking at like a good five, five foot swells on site and the boat starts rocking. And of course, you know, I don't do great on boats anyways. I think before we started that dive, I threw up three times, uh, hopped in the water. Jeff had turned green. And even Rennie, who's pretty pretty uh, stable on the boat, was uh, was kind of having a rough go. And we made the call at that point, just having chatted you know, amongst each other that like, look, we're, we're not in any condition really to be challenging this for deco. Like, let's just go see what we can see on the dive. Uh, and we'll scrap our deco. And so we did. We just went out and did a, a standard NDL dive. Um, and I can tell you, it was probably a really smart idea because, uh, you know, it's one of these ones where when we got down there, it was it was quite rough and you didn't really see a whole lot other than seaweed getting bashed around from 85 feet um, below the surface. So I guess my question then that comes about is, is it always a good idea to, to run deco when you plan to run deco or, or is it sometimes a better idea to just dive a recreational dive on your uh, nitrox tables uh, and you can still enjoy just as good of a dive if not sometimes better and or spend more time on uh, on a wreck like cumulatively so we're looking at that even this week coming up as we challenge like heading out to the sag and what looks to be another uh, 36 kilometer per hour sea uh, but you know that's one of those ones where when you run the figures you see that like sure you could spend with the lost gas scenarios maybe 49, 50 minutes on the wreck at depth, or you could just simply do two dives at slightly shallower depths and spend two hours on the wreck. So really, is it worth it in every instance to dive uh, deco versus just uh, standard uh, nitrox tables diving? And so I'll throw it out to you guys. My my view at this point is uh, obviously that you got to pick your dives and determine what you're doing based on the conditions and be smart about it. And I'll give kudos to my uh, dive buddies, Jeff, on that one, because even though I happily hopped into the water uh, quickly because I thought that was a safer place to be than on the <laughs> boat. Uh, he made the call on saying, you know, we shouldn't do this as a deco dive. And uh, I think it was the right call. So yeah. What do you guys think? It's, it kind of rolls back to that, that thing. Like, you know, you can cancel a dive for any reason. Like you can, you can also roll back the difficulty level of the dive for any reason, I think is, uh, you know, is kind of included in that statement. So yeah, if it's, if it's too, if it's too challenging due to conditions, then totally like you made the best call possible. And, you know, and thinking of like the, the coming up weekend, um, with the, or sorry, with the holiday and diving on the Saguenay, which is a local artificial reef here in Nova Scotia. Um, you know, it sits in what 90 feet of water in the sand. Like yep. that's an easy nitrox recreational dive. Personally, um, I don't know. I I'm really comfortable just doing two, you know, long, uh, high nitrox percentage mix dives, you know, the highest I can, I can squeak in there and, uh, and getting the most bottom time I can. And, you know, spending quite a few minutes under there until I'm 
pretty much bored at looking the Saguenay. <laughs> uh, so, you know, to me, like the trade off of, uh, you know, doing only being able to do one dive um, on it and the extra gear requirements and that kind of stuff versus me literally bringing one extra side mount tank, I th- I'd say do two rec dives on that for me. Yeah, I, I would I would argue, you know, if the hallmark of a good diver is being able to call a dive, I I think that holds even truer for, for some of the other tech diver. You know, we mm-hmm. but the temptation is also high there too, right? You spend a lot of time, a lot of money, um, getting set up in the gear and, and just even the prep can be more for tech diving and mm-hmm. and the, the, the tendencies to just jump in and go like, Well, I'm out of here, right? Um, but again, yeah, that hallmark to be able to to call a dive. And then the, the other thing is, you know, like this is just something just generally in diving, right? Not because you have a hammer, you have to nail it. Um, right. <laughs> you know, like not, not because you have, not because you have a pony ball, you have to go do it. Right. right, you right know? Yeah. So just have the ability to step back and, and, and sort of call that dive. Like on, in our particular, that particular story you were relating to admit, you know, uh, you guys were feeling seasick, right? So, yeah, you know, like why add that? It's not, it's not just the fact you're adding deco, you're adding gear in conditions mm-hmm. that you have to then swim through and, and carry that extra load and then get in and yeah. out. And, and in our scenario, it was better to be under the water where you weren't feeling seasick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then, then sort of staying on the boat. You know, that's another argument that some people go like, eh, maybe, maybe not, right? But I, I wouldn't want to sit on a boat for two hours puking. Yeah. Right. Either. No. Yeah. And then, you know, the other piece I think you do have to consider on that is uh, the factors that contribute to uh, decompression stress and decompression injury as well, right? So if you are already in that adverse case, and we've we've chatted with uh, Neil Pollock about this, uh, there are so many factors that are adding to it. And you've now put yourself in a stress situation. Your body's now like, you know, not doing well, you're throwing up over the side of the boat. Like th- these are all things that aren't, you're, they're telling you quite, quite clearly you're not in your normal best self. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you're intelligent and have say read, you know, even say Deco for Divers and you've listened to some of these pieces of advice, it's probably the intelligent decision at that point to scrap it and say, you know, there yeah. are too many factors that are outside of my control that don't lend itself to being a safe dive. I, Time to I change saw- your mind here. I still, and I also think that, you know, like for me, yeah, always do a mental check just before you jump in. You go like, am I in the right state of mind to do this? You mm-hmm. know, and that could, that could be affected by your physical state, obviously, whether you're, you know, if you're seasick, you're obviously your mental state's going to be quite different, but you know, do, do, do a quick mental, you know, tick that box off or not go like, mm, yeah, maybe not. And it goes back to be like Justin said, you know, you, you, if you should be able to call a dive, you should also be able to scale it back. So. But it takes discipline to do that, right? So you and mm-hmm. I, uh, the three of us, sorry, the three of us are sitting here. That conversation is easy. But when you're on a dive site, yeah. you spend a couple of thousand bucks on a trip uh, in the tropics, then you've got two weeks vacation a year and you're sitting there like that can be a hard call. And then, you know, you mm-hmm. haven't factored in the peer pressure, right? Right. All really good things. So I guess in the end, I mean, you know, because so, we could probably chat about this for the whole night. But in, in the end, I think it is. It's one of these ones where we've got to, Toss it up there, make the best and safest decision, uh, given the information that you have at hand and, you know, uh, be brave enough to say no, uh, when that dive comes up and, and you know that it's not the right thing to do, because often I think if you put yourself in that position, it's not just you that you're putting at jeopardy, right? If you jump in the water and you're really not mentally there for that dive, you're actually putting your team at risk as well. So, you know, consider the fact that it's not just about you making a decision for yourself. It's really about you looking after the interest of all the other divers that are there. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff to do. And I agree with you, Nick. I think if I had like shelled out to say to go dive truck lagoon or something and, uh, you know, 
I'm sitting on deck there. It'd be really hard to turn that down. So yeah, mm-hmm. not to judge anyone as far as that goes. So yeah, but I remember I think Jill Heineth relating a story about doing an expedition and traveling far and getting into a cave, and then there's just conditions just weren't lining up. But she called it, you know, and mm-hmm. it's probably sitting on well, I don't know what I would assume was probably in the hundreds of thousands of expedition money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's your last dive and you're going to die on it, it's not worth it. Yeah, absolutely. All excellent points, everybody. And uh, we'd like to hear from the audience. So if you have a dive that you canceled or scaled back and then later realize, hey, that was a really good decision. Um, I'm happy I did that. We'd love to hear about it. Shoot us a message, dive in, dot the podcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. April's always on our Instagram account, so she'll see that right away. And uh, yeah, let us know. We'd love to hear from you guys. We'll uh, share your story if you like on uh, probably on a future episode. We can all learn from each other. Over to Nick. Speaking of learning from each other, what have you got for us in your book recommendation this week? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's it's summertime. And uh, for those of us that just kind of exited winter in the northern climes um, and yeah. lockdowns around the world, I think we're all, we're all kind of eager to get off our butts and back into the water. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if I think people might have a little bit less time for reading a longer book. Um and are probably wanting to be more active. So instead of a longer reading suggestion, uh, I'm going to recommend you get your hands on a diving magazine. Um, magazines are like Perfect. a good way to stay current with latest practices, you know, what gear is coming out, what's happening in the sport. And I also think as the pandemic kind of eases up, you know, there's going to be a lot more writing about travel and how travel would look like in the coming years for an industry mm. that, that's kind of been aching. Um, and also magazines, you know, they, they, they might seem like this this format that's kind of gone out of style or out of fashion, but they they still provide a lot of valuable uh, content. Um, and I th- I think uh, by subscribing to a magazine, you can support those those uh, productions. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to give a couple of suggestions. One is Alert Diver. It's the official magazine of the Divers Alert Network, and it's a great one for divers and pros alike. Um, a lot of safety information, um, especially if you're just coming out of a long lull in diving. That's probably a good one to to tap into and lots, always lots of interesting things to learn uh, about diving there. Diver Mag, who we mentioned in the opener of the show, um, is based in Canada as an independent sport diving magazine, and they kind of published the North American market in, in large part. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's another good one. Again, you know, price of a pizza gets you a year subscription, so totally worth tapping into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Scuba Diver Mag, one of the leading diving magazines in the UK that also has brands in North America, Australia, New Zealand, is another great one to tap into if you're in another part of the world, you know. And we've had uh, the editors of these last two magazines on the show before, so I definitely uh, can sort of resonate with with where they come from, producing uh, genuine content for for scuba diving and free diving in the dive industry. And one mm-hmm. that I mentioned uh, in the past was Oceanographic Magazine. That isn't particularly oriented towards a specific sport, but it's ocean focused um, with really great imagery, really great stories that I think would appeal to both scuba divers and, and free divers alike. So if you're passionate by the ocean, that's one magazine you can pick up. And I believe it's, if I'm not mistaken, available as an electronic only version now as well. Uh, so you can, you know, pick up any of those magazines digitally for instant access. You don't have to you know, wait uh, weeks for the first edition to come out. You can just literally go look them up online, do a Google search, sign up for them. You have that content on your, you know, on your mobile device and you can be reading it on your Surface Interval or if you're planning a trip, you know, you can kind of look up what's coming up next. So, you know, 
nice, easy reading, bite-sized pieces, and you know you can sh- you can share that content with with others and learn lots along the way. Mm-hmm. And Oceanographic has that sweet coffee table book that I believe you talked about on a podcast earlier in the uh, in the series. Yeah, they. I mean, they're 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 a large format magazine, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the paper quality is kind of insane, uh, but the imagery mm-hmm. that they put in there, and this, uh, they also talk a lot about conservation and what people are doing around the ocean. A lot, of, a lot of photographers are on there, so you, you get a really high quality content. Um, and yeah, they did because they had the the oceanographic photo competition last year, which by the way is actually on again this year. Um, entries open till the end of July, I believe. So they did. They did a, like a small coffee table book with all the the finalist entries um, last year, which was available for not a lot of money and some some insanely beautiful images from around the world. Um, and again, you know, a lot of us are starting to travel again, but a lot of us still aren't quite there yet. So if you want to tap into a world of diving from a world away, that's one way to do it. Cool. Good recommendations, yeah. Nick. Appreciate that for sure, and I'm sure the listeners do as well. Uh, you can find links in the show notes to all those magazines. I'm sure Nick will provide those to me so I can paste them into them with, uh, without spending all <laughs> night looking for them. No, I'm just giving them a hard time here on the, on the air. <laughs> that does it for today's episode. Well, thanks go out again to Lena and Martina for the fantastic interview and the, uh, the really great chat. And yeah, I had an excellent time chatting with them despite the lag in my side of the interview being out at uh, cottage away on vacation. So Hopefully that didn't come through in the edit, (laughs) but we shall see. Uh, But it was really, uh, really fun chatting with them. Yeah, I I quite enjoyed that uh, episode as well. Uh, I think, I don't know, we've gone to Hawaii a couple of times, and I got to say the vibe from the folks in Hawaii just are, are, I guess maybe they sit well, Nick, with you and I, perhaps because of the Caribbean vibe and the Hawaii vibe (laughs) being very similar. But I do enjoy chatting with them, uh, and these two were, were great as well. So I thank them for coming on board, and thanks to Nick, of course, as well for getting that set up for us. It's always it's always a pleasure, it's you know. Pleasure <laughs> always. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Um, uh, I mean, no, but like honestly, I think that's that's one thing we we really enjoy about having you know having people from all over the world chat to us and and being able to mm-hmm. share that those stories and that content with with people that are listening to the show. Um, yeah. So that that's. Yeah, that's why we show up every Wednesday. Beauty. And admit, thank you for doing everything you do on the podcast and being here for this amazing interview and this amazing open and close and new segments and deco stop and everything. So I just have to really <laughs> that's a lot of things there. Man. I, you do a I lot. I feel like see? I did a lot more than I than I actually did. So I'm just going to go <laughs> with that's awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Excellent. Don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash diveinpod and get some fun rewards for doing so. You can also visit our website at diveinpod.com for all the links you need to episodes, merch, and so much more. On social media, you can follow me at idiveok. April is at April Weikert. I'm at Nicholas Winkler Photography. Next week, April hosts a special episode of Dive in the Podcast for Women's Dive Day. This is going to feature some amazing female powerhouses like Lily Risable, Joanna Mikotowicz, and Canada's own Jill Hynerth. Uh, I'm actually kind of jealous that I'm not going to be able to be on that episode because it's uh, <laughs> it's looking like it's going to be a hella one. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, well, I can't wait to hear it when I start editing it in uh, just a, well, just a few days, I guess, for me in the, my weird timeline of editing versus air dates. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, she did April did an awesome job last year, so we're looking forward to this one again. 
Mm-hmm. All right. This episode of Dive in the Podcast is brought to you by your sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. Reviews are one of the best ways to help others find the podcast. Thanks for diving in with us. What? You changed Whoa. it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I was literally sitting there for the last 10 minutes thinking uh, how I could. Just waiting. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for diving in with us.